Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to this podcast, season four, episode twenty-eight. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kula, and over there in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. We also have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Alrighty, it's going good. Thanks for asking. Alrighty, so we'll start off with some fact check. Um, Frank we- Frank Welker is the voice of Scooby Doo, and also Fred Jones, and he's been—I think he's been doing it since the '70s, right? Because he's pretty old-looking guy. Um, yeah, so I saw that. I, I, I actually was watching a thing called Scooby Doo: Where Are You Now, which was a 2021 television special that I stumbled across on, I think, on YTV or something like that. And I just—we I, were just talking about Scooby Doo, so I just thought I'd watch it for a bit while something was happening, and. Kate Mininsky, Min, no, how do you say her name? Mucucci? Kate Mininsky, thank you. Kate Mucucci also voices Velma Dinkley. We talked about Velma last week. And she's, isn't she part of like, a, she's a comedy troupe with somebody named Garfunkel, right? Yeah, she's in Garfunkel and Oates. That's uh, Ricky Lindholm is uh, her partner. They're both, uh, yeah, American, but yeah, they're great. They're very funny. They have a Netflix special that's worth checking out if you get a chance. Um, I don't. I, I got confused about that. So there's not an N in there. It's Mikuchi, which she made fun of on. Um, oh, and Conan, Conan or O'Brien. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing with Mikuchi is the name that's of her. So, that's her CD special or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's no N in the spelling. You mean it's spelled? Yeah. Wrong. No, it's I just Mikuchi, looked it up. Mikuchi. Yeah. Yeah, she was on um, Scrubs. She's been on a bunch of different things. She was on a, um, Easy on and Netflix. That was really good. Yeah, she's she's a good actress. She was and one a, of the girlfriends on um, Big Bang Theory. She yeah. was yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. girlfriend for a while. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Oh, yeah. Frank Welker. So uh, he was the original Fred. He's been Fred since the 1960s. But he also he's had an incredibly prolific uh, voice acting career. He was Megatron and Galvatron and Soundwave in the original Transformers. Uh, he's gone on to do all kinds. He was Garfield on the Garfield show. He's done all kinds of voices. Um Astro on the Jetsons. He's done all kinds of very famous roles. He's on the Smurfs. He is, this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt, one of the most prolific voice actors of all time with worldwide box office gross of $17.4 billion, the third highest grossing actor of all time. Wow. Because he's done. So he's the voice. He's that voice that I would have remembered from the '70s cartoons of all the sort of, you know, like you, like the Megatron guys you just mentioned. Oh yeah, right? I mean, he was prolific. He was, you know, when they were doing a voice recording, he was probably involved in it from like 1969 to about now. So, so is that like Hanna Barbera kind of stuff? He did. A, yeah, it's 860 film, television, and video game credits. So oh. yeah, he's he's like one of the guys, all timer. So he Hall has of his Fame own IMDb database, voice. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Alrighty. Super Friends, Dino Mutt, Jabberjaw, Flintstones comedy show. Yeah, you name it. But has he done any Star Wars? I don't think so. I don't see that on his uh, <laughs> long ass list here. Well, then he's not all that great, is he? <laughs> Alrighty. I'll probably never be able to find the um, the meme, but I can find the original photo. Or the original uh, GIF, one sec. Talking about Frank Welker as uh, uh, Megatron. Mm. So, because we're recording this in January of 2022, the Omicron variant of COVID-19 is uh, the big news. So somebody had tweeted out this, and I can't find it anymore, a a meme of uh, Omicron being removed and replaced by Megatron for the next variant. And... Oh, really? <laughs> For this meme, apparently there's a scene in the old 1984 Transformers animated cartoon where the Lincoln Memorial, uh, wait, is it the Lincoln Memorial? Oh, I should know this. Um, a statue of Lincoln, the very famous one where he's sitting on the... Uh, That's the Lincoln Memorial the for those of you driving at home. Yeah. I think the Lincoln Memorial is the, the, the place where the statue is. Yeah, it's not the actual statue. Yeah, it's sure. not the actual statue, but it's the, the, the thing that everybody thinks of when they think of the Lincoln Memorial. And Hey, uh, wait, you guys still have pennies there, right? Oh, yeah, we still yeah, have pennies. pennies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you look at the Lincoln Memorial on the U.S. penny, if you look really close, you can see the Lincoln statue. Yeah. Did Is that one that? of those things like being able to see the owl in the dollar bill? No, no, you can see there's like a little, little impression of a head and a little impression of a body. You didn't know that about your own penny? I guess I never looked that closely at it. Uh, I do wow. remember the little owl thing that you can see in the dollar this bill. podcast is um, over. But nevertheless, <laughs> so you have the uh, the Lincoln statue on the the uh, the big uh, dais or throne there that gets removed by Megatron, and he just goes and sits on it because he's big enough to sit there like a big boy. Oh, I see. Right? Yeah. Cool. Neat. Yeah. You know, my one regret is the last time I was in Washington, I had um, I was walking around and and I wanted to go see the the Lincoln Memorial, but it was so crowded, like it was so many people walking up and down the stairs, right? And uh, yeah, we just didn't have time. We had to go catch a bus and. Uh, too bad. Too bad. So sad. And, and unfortunately, I tried to go to the White House, and that's where we killed the time. And it was what a waste that was, trying to go and see Trump's White House. Because you couldn't get within, like, football fields away from it, right? Like, that's how far they had it blocked off. Like, that's how secure they felt about that guy. Anyway. Um, so, real-time follow-up. I am looking uh, at, a, in this case, a photo of a penny. And, and uh, Tim's right. You know why we don't notice these? Because uh, even though I've had these, you know, 
available to me all the 40 years of my life is that these are the kind of things that uh, American children take to uh, theme parks that say like Disney World or SeaWorld or something. And uh, you squish them. Exactly. You squish them into like a Mickey Mouse face or <laughs> you know, a dolphin or something. You run it through those little cranks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. I was really yeah, worried you were going to go into and throw them off the top of roller coasters at people. Oh man, or uh, uh, rounding it up the, the Empire State the Empire State Building and stuff. Yeah, yeah. In Seattle, you can just go to the Space Needle and throw them off. There you go. All right. They have the coolest. Have you ever seen? Have you been to Seattle, John? Yeah. They have the coolest like subway r- rail thing that I guess from the from the World's Fair there. Like it looks very sort of Art Deco kind of. The monorail. Vibe. It's not a subway. It's uh, elevated. Yeah, a monorail. Yeah. Yep. What do they call it? They call it the monorail, like from the Simpsons episode. I was oh, going to say, please sing yeah. for us, Jaime, please, please. please. <laughs> I wish I remember the, the three parts. Monorail. Like, monorail. They put them on the map of those cities that nobody had ever heard uh, of. Those North Haverbrook and uh, Ogdenville. <laughs> yeah. What, they have monorails? Yeah. Right. And monorails at Expo, too. I remember those, riding on those. Yeah. And Cool. All right. So last week I mentioned that uh, from the uh, from the uh, center seat show I was watching, hosted by Gates McFadden, that uh, stay tuned, folks. But uh, yeah, so I was talking about how Gene Roddenberry was sort of removed from the the show at one point. Uh, I mean, from the shows, I should say, like like Next Generation and stuff, because he was just being weird. Um, but apparently, Rod Roddenberry, his son, is an executive producer on shows like Prodigy and a few other things. So the Roddenberry family is still very much involved in the current iterations of um, um, Prodigy. And after Gene Roddenberry, Rick Berman took over, and he was so he was, so a lot of the shows that were done um, that we all love, you know, Voy and uh, Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. I think Enterprise was was sort of the end of the. I think Rick Berman says on the show that that was the end of the. Rick, Rick Berman um, period, right? So he had a term part, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, uh, throw over to Jaime for a bit of follow-up while I go look for another link. Yeah, so we've been talking for a while about what is that Darnell star date for Star Trek Prodigy, and the most recent episode was certainly threw some extra weird stuff in there. And of course, we've seen the other thing where we said, wait, is it like 17 years difference? What's going on? I've got some links here from uh, Aaron Waltke, who's co-executive producer on Strategic Prodigy. Uh, first one uh, of the tweets says that um, fun Star Trek fact in today's Prodigy episode, which was actually last week's time of month, the crew encounters a tachyon storm that distorts time itself. Quote, the first hint of trouble is Hollow Janeway's opening log. The star date is off as her temporal settings are affected by the approaching anomaly. There you go. So that's the first one there. So we we got confirmation that it wasn't the oh no the writers don't know what they're doing, uh, my, the fandom is destroyed. Yeah, this is actually intentional. Makes sense. And then the uh, follow up tweet from that in the thread is for the quote for those curious what the actual star date is, you'll get one in the finale. Don't worry. Little unclear if that's the sort of mid season finale, uh, or if that's going to be like the series season finale, finale. <laughs> or a series finale. It's like which finale, bro? <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, there's actually a follow up that I didn't see when I copied this link. Is somebody asks episode ten or the full season finale, and he says episode ten. So there you go. You heard it here. There you go. So next week we'll find out. Hooray! Oh, okay. Yeah, you huzzah! <laughs> 
And then people can figure out precisely how old Chakotay is, uh, at least at a minimum from the, uh, the video that we saw, the recording that we saw of him. Now let's head into the headlines. Oh, Jonathan does have a headline here. So I do. Go, John. I do. Yeah, so we got a nice surprise this week. We got a more robust trailer for Star Trek Picard as opposed to the teaser I think we kind of got before. So we get a little bit more of a look inside the season, some of the sort of where things are going. It doesn't really change things from my perspective. Um, basic premise seems to be that uh, Q messes with reality, not just time, but messes with reality for the quote-unquote path not taken. So clearly he makes some small change that ripples through and changes reality, uh, at which point, of course, uh, the knee-jerk reaction of any captain in Star Trek is to uh, catapult around the sun, go back in time to the year 2024, because uh, you couldn't go back to 2016. That would be ridiculous. And uh, I love that they're going to 2024, so they're not in 2022 have to have to wear masks that made me laugh um so they're going to 2024 and they're going to uh go and try and solve this crisis by going back in time and setting things right they're gonna solve covid yeah i mean clearly it's great to know that by 2024 covid won't be around so that's it's nice that they've put a cap on that i appreciate that yeah cool yeah uh, well they would know they're in the future right it's true it's true uh yeah no it's funny because you know traditionally star trek when they do a timey-wimey episode they go to whatever year we're currently in just so that obviously there's no incongruities but this one they decided to jump forward a couple of years because they're like yeah nobody wants to go to 2022 uh so, yeah, I mean, lots of, you know, lots of little clips, a little bit more John Delancey as Q, uh, a little bit more inside of each of the characters, but very briefly. And, uh, yeah, did, what did you guys make of this slightly more in-depth trailer? Well, I, I thought the iPhone 16 looked really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it's the one with I can't it? believe Is that it. A spoilers? Is that is that the one with Guinan? Is that a spoiler? Yes, Guinan is in this one. That's that's I guess. And again, we knew. I think we had talked about her wanting to be be on the show and that she was going to be on the show. So, or she wanted to be on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When oh, they okay. announced Picard was coming back, she said like, "Oh, I'd love to be on the show." And they were like, "Okay." So then uh, Patrick Stewart went on whatever show she's on and said, "Hey, do you want to be on the show?" And she said, "Yes." So we yeah. knew that that was coming. We talked about that I think a year plus ago. Um, but now, obviously, we now have seen she's there looking eerily ageless. It's, it's kind of odd. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially since she's got that weird, you know. Lack of eyebrows? Dreadlocky thing going on. Dread, dreadlocky thing going now. No, no, she's never had mm -hmm. eyebrows. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Are you any more or less invested after seeing this? I mean, again. I'm invested anyway. What are you talking about? I know. That's like, the thing. Like, they're, they're, they're putting out trailers. And it's like, if you were in, you were in. Are you supposed to be lured in if you weren't in? I don't know. I don't know. understand really I what know, the... I don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess they have to work at maybe trying to convince people to watch it. I don't understand that at all. Yeah. Who was out? Who was out on this? Yeah. I think it's meant, you know, certainly to tease uh, somewhat more casual fans and, and maybe even get folks who are... Um, uh, you know, kind of new-ish to the franchise. Uh, certainly the hardcore fans are going to watch, you know, no matter what. I think it's not necessarily for that in terms of the way it's put together. Mm -hmm. um, certainly they know that we're going to take apart various things like the year that it takes place. 2024, we know from Deep Space Nine, that's when the uh, Bell riots occurred, right? Um, yeah. Which seems rather sort of timely for the the era we happen to be in it's sort of eerily prescient 
Um, and separately, although this does get into weird, slightly political territory, so I apologize to the uh, United Kingdom and uh, Ireland. Uh, but we also know that the Irish unification of 2024 was a critical event that was mentioned in TNG. So really? that, that, that being uh, the entire geographical island of Ireland being a single nation. So don't know if they'll cover uh, either one of those, but it is interesting that they chose 2024. Yeah. So it begs the question, though, like what you're just saying, like, and we've asked this question of, you know, fans who may have young children watching Prodigy and a similar kind of question, like, who is the is Picard for? I mean, like, are they actually do they actually think they're just going to go out and randomly get people who have never watched any Next Generation or any of the movies to sort of come and watch Picard and understand the whole connection? Like, oh, look, Seven of Nine doesn't have stuff on her face. She's no longer Seven of Nine. So, you know, what I mean, like for, for someone who's not a... a Star Trek fan, uh, you know, or has invested in some, and like Guinan shows up. Okay, so why is she on the show? Is this like a crossover color purple kind of vibe going here? Like, if I wasn't, if I wasn't, if I didn't know enough about Picard, why would I watch it? I think you're looking at it from a different perspective than what they might be intending. So certainly for us, part of the what they they show in here is is for fans like us who are like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, let's pick apart what were the, the exact starship types that they showed that were shooting, um, you know, in the chase. Uh, obviously, we'll pick up on, you know, Guinan being there, on um, uh, Q being there. Uh, we didn't talk about Brent Spiner, who is presumably playing a, a Sung ancestor of some sort when he gets the uh, well, didn't blue he, su- didn't suppository, he I suppose. Yeah, didn't he? Didn't the, the Sung ancestor that was in the last season, didn't he come with them? I yeah, maybe. I mean, he was certainly there when they made the Picard Golem. I don't know. Yeah, because that was my he, impression. He, was was that, he in the final shot on the on the crew? Uh, the, I, the deck? I can't recall. But when I saw because it wasn't like just one shot, they showed him in multiple shots in this trailer, and I thought, oh, I guess that character must be sort of along for the ride. And I guess Brent Spiner is a show regular now, as not Data, but as the the you know. Uh, Nunyan Sung's, what are we supposed to be, grandson? I can't remember his first name. I want to call him like Auric or something, like like as if he was Auric Goldfinger from the Bond series. But uh, oh, I guess I guess you're right. I guess it would make sense that it would be uh, him. But I don't recall seeing him in the uh, the final uh, sh- uh, you know family portrait on the on. I was going to say, like, okay, there's there's this podcast that I follow called Spotcast, and on the season finale, they Mm -hmm. have a picture, yeah, they have a picture of this this scene that Jaime's talking about, in fact. Um, So if you just go to Spotcast and look here, I'll just paste a link, you can look at yourself. So is he he there, or is it no Brent? No, there's no Brent. Brent Okay, so what we can say is retroactively, he was on the ship, he just happened to be in the bathroom when this dramatic moment happened. Maybe he's a hologram, we don't know. Right. He was on the toilet, <laughs> or or he was in the tra- as as some other podcast say he was in the uh, transporter room. He's in a room. buffer. Trans- He's- buffer. Nobody uses the toilet anymore. They just beam their uh, their waste <laughs> out of their bodies. <laughs> Eat what you want, kids? Yeah. It it will not hurt on the way out. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> this episode is taking a All left right. turn. All right. Well, speaking of left turns, so so today's clickbait was that uh, Picard will end after season three. Then, and, and apparently, there's a whole slew of. We just talked about this. We started recording. There's a huge, a whole slew of uh, links here, and so I picked one from Gizmodo, which is a one we trust. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so they're not sure. We do know that they're filming se- season three and season two at the same time, right? I think you, Jaime mentioned that, right? Um, so I don't know if there's anything definitive about this, but apparently uh, Patrick Stewart was interviewed. I'd read earlier today that he and someone else, maybe the showrunner, had said there wasn't a plan to do anything after this. Anybody catch anything in this story? It's it's so hard to say. We don't really have definitive, like, what will happen here. But it would make sense, given what some of the article talks about, that you have uh, an 81-year-old individual in a pandemic. You, you don't want to be ghoulish about it, but as producers of, uh, you know, a very expensive IP, you, you kind of need to plan out, like, how long could this possibly go? Now, granted... Of course, naysayers will say that could absolutely happen. Even with somebody in perfect health at 25 years old, they could go splat in like a motorcycle accident or something, right? Just to be ghoulish about it. Yeah. But it's just from a numbers game of, you know, they can't have necessarily seven seasons here all planned out and committed to because you don't know what's going to happen. People get old, stuff happens. And since Picard is, you know, even certainly Star Trek Discovery is very much the... The, the different kind of show it's specifically with michael burnham as the main character that's even more true of of picard right like it's literally his name is in the title so yeah, yeah. if you don't have a picard you're definitely going to have to have a definitive end and so i think what they'll do is i have season you know two and three it'll feel wrapped up leave a tiny little edge open if they want to do another season but they they can't plan for like a a, a 10 season sort of thing like a like a game of thrones bit right or eight seasons yeah well and it's i think it really it also doesn't just come down to patrick stewart's health it comes down to his you know lifestyle does he want to be working you know regularly he may choose Mm -hmm. to but i I do think they need to have that flexibility in there to allow for the fact that you know yeah the man deserves to be you know taking it easy if he chooses to he doesn't have to do a show for us it's it's very wonderful that he is but he doesn't have to yeah and he does have dogs to feed but you know but it, but this isn't this isn't the real Picard anyway. This is a golem now, didn't he pass? So spoilers. Yes, the, the Picard's original body is no longer uh, available to him. Right, right. So this is sort of a pseudo clone, if you well, ever... it sort of depends on what you 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 think about with relation to consciousness, which various Star Trek series and shows and etc. have definitely canonically said you can move the consciousness around and. I think Spock is probably the most applicable um, one here where he straight up died, body completely remade, and his uh, katra, what, what do they call his, yeah. yep. his spirit was sort of muled around, drug muled around by uh, bones, <laughs> right? <laughs> Unwillingly drug muled. Yeah. Just crammed up in there. That's right. So moving on, uh, just a quick story here about uh, Daredevil, which I've been surprisingly, I've been watching to catch up on. I've taken a break from watching, starting season three again, um, after having watched the, you know, getting chastised and then watching the Defender series. Um, Defenders, sorry. The Defenders? Yeah. Yeah, the Defenders. Yeah, and then that, then I got distracted by a few other things, TV shows that I need to catch up on uh, in movies. But um, yeah, so Daredevil viewership has spiked following the release of Hawkeye and Spider-Man and no, Spider-Man No Way Home. So, um, yeah, in the um, Marvel on Netflix is, or Daredevil on and Netflix is uh, enjoying a sort of, a, you know, second life, I guess. Nice. Right? Mm-hmm. It's good for Mr. Cox and uh, 
gang, right? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it leads to something more. I, I actually just finished watching the last two series uh, in that run myself, so I'm, I'm all done now. I've, I've watched all of them, but I just finished watching Punisher Season 2 and Jessica Jones Season 3, which were the last two that I hadn't watched. And it's funny because they have a varying degree, the shows have a varying degree of um, finality. I think when they first started canceling those shows, I think they were sort of not sure that they were going to be canceled. They were kind of leaving the doors open, whereas the last few seemed like they wrap up a little bit in more of a, a neater fashion. But I found myself having now watched the entire entirety of the Marvel Netflix experience. There's certainly things that I think are incongruous with what they want to do with the the MCU television shows, the MCU movies, obviously. they can't. It's not a straight... Flip. I, I can't imagine them doing those style of shows that dark on you know, Disney Plus. But I loved the portrayals of a lot of those characters, and would love to see them brought over. You could always say that the the Netflix series is a multiverse world, not six one six, and then bring those same actors over and say, well, of course, they're the same people. They're just, you know, slight variations and, and do them over is not quite as dark. I, I really some of them, you know, obviously, I think I, I think we're all OK with leaving, uh, you know, uh, some of the some of the storylines from those Netflix series on the cutting room floor now. But I do think that there's a lot that could still be done with the Daredevil character. There's a lot that could still be done with the Punisher character, Jessica Jones. I mean, Kristen Ritter is so fantastic in that role. I think uh, Mike Coulter as, as Luke Cage. I think you could do a lot with those characters. And even some of the sub-characters beyond that, I thought uh, there's there's a lot of strength there, too. I think it could be really good to try and weave them in to some of these other series. But it's a question of whether they want to appropriate those into the or they're committed to doing, you know, more new characters, more new characters, more new characters. Again, they're, they're bringing us Moon Knight and She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel and all these other things this year. I don't know if they need to go back to the if they don't want to. But other than a cameo, why would they put Charlie Cox into, uh, you know, even the four seconds he's in Spider-Man? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Spoilers, kids. But, you know, he's in Spider-Man for five seconds. Oops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I just I don't understand what the long game is. I'll be really curious to see if they revive more of these characters and if they let these same actors play them. I was going to say, wouldn't they do that? Like, wouldn't they sometime or at some point in the future, maybe they have to have a Mar or an Endgame kind of deal where you roll everybody into it, right? At some point for some mega, you know, and you bring, mind you, they have a different Flash too, don't they? But, uh, you know, you could bring Jessica Jones in. I mean, she's pretty much, um, you know, Kristen Ritter's pretty much got that role, right? It just, it's so hard to imagine if they decided to go back to bringing those characters to life. It's, of course, no, nothing is permanent. You obviously, you know, different people can play different roles. We've seen that across all of different, you know, television over the years. But it's so hard to imagine how, you know, like Charlie Cox is so good as Daredevil. Christian Ritter is so good as Jessica Jones. You know, uh, John Bernthal is the Punisher. Like some of these, it just they're such perfect fits that it seems like it would be a shame to not give them another crack at it. But then, you know, again, do they want to come back? You know, do they want to do they want to divorce people's memories from that previous thing? To me, I think the telling thing is that they did cast Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock for his very brief cameo in, in Spider Man, just because that to me opens the door to all of this, right? They they're saying, well, Charlie is Matt Murdock. 
So maybe everybody else is everybody else. True. And the other thing, too, is that, like, you know, from a production point of view, making a TV show, filming a TV show is quite different than making a movie, too, right? That's, you know, from an actor point of view, from an actor's point of view, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite a, quite a bit different. I mean, you spend, you know, act, you listen to stories of actors in movies, they spend a lot of time in the trailers waiting for the shots to be set up, you know, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, I think it's a little bit more close to the ground when you're doing a TV show. So it might be a different kind of experience. You know, and you think about it, like the time on screen, there's way more time in a TV show than there is in a movie, right? Because you can, you know, you can run a TV show for a long, long time, right? Yeah, almost to a, fa- almost to a fault, the- though. Like, I honestly feel like what Mar- Marvel slash Disney is doing with the DC, uh, sorry, the DCU, the MCU television programs on Disney Plus works so much better because they're giving you a yeah. nice, tight, yeah. you know, six hours total whether that's divided up into, you know, five episodes, six episodes, eight episodes, whatever it is, they're giving you a pretty nice, tight story. Although we talked about how, you know, they've kind of been overloading them and then being hard to deliver on the ending of them. But I felt like watching even the stuff that I was truly enjoying, like, you know, Daredevil season three is great. Punisher season two is great. Jessica Jones season three is great. But all of them, I think, come in at 13 episodes. And I found myself thinking, this could have easily been like eight really tight episodes. There's a lot of digression, secondary characters, just stuff that they didn't need to do. So true. But but even six or eight episodes is still longer than any movie. Right. You know? No, it's it's definitely true, and I think that's why people have grown so attached to these characters is because you do get that that amount of time with them. I feel like all the stuff they've done on whether it's the Netflix stuff or the or the or the Disney Plus stuff, I feel like it's honestly it's it's kind of almost a better deal unless you are unless you are doing Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, or a self titled individualized movie focusing on you where especially if they're doing like a trilogy or a quadrology you really are almost better to get the tv show because the tv show is going to really connect you to people and you're in their house and you're right there and you know it's, it's just such a different experience right i also wonder if the the whole detail of you know when you've got 70 millimeter space to work with you know like like in terms of the size of the screen you can put more on the screen you know and entertain people more that way whereas you know on tv you're kind of like constrained to a I mean, admittedly, it's the same resolution and things like that, right? So, you know, but you've got sort of a smaller canvas to work on. There's less detail, you know? It's true, but then you also have the luxury of time where you don't have to go from, like, quick exposition set piece, quick exposition set piece. You can get into character. Yeah, sometimes movies bounce around so much I get lost in terms of, like, you know, the quick changes, whereas here they have time to breathe, you know? They have time to sort of expound on things, right? You can stand there and wait for the subway to come as opposed to, you know flipping from one scene to another right yeah no and and i think that's where the real strength is i think that's the part that i enjoy about the the disney plus series and i enjoy about the the netflix series is you do have the time although i do feel like the netflix series almost almost an unnecessary amount of time like they season was it season three of daredevil there's a character in there who's like a secondary or tertiary character who they sort of just sort of keep going back to it. He's supposed to be the sort of everyman caught up in this crazy world and everything else. And, you know, the actor did a fine job and it's fine. It just feels like it every minute he was on screen, I'm like, but I want to see Daredevil, <laughs> you know, like I, I appreciate <laughs> what they were doing and I thought he was quite good, but I still found myself thinking I, I, I came for a Daredevil show. Why are you doing this? Right, right. 
Yeah. Well, it's like we could say the same thing about Boba Fett today, right? Well, and I think we, we <laughs> might just have that opinion. We'll talk about uh, Book of Boba Fett in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, it, the other story this week that's sort of been making rounds, and you guys may have seen it. This I think this came out yesterday or the day before. Yeah, yesterday, twenty fifth. No, two days, two days ago. Yep. That, that apparently China has rewritten the ending. They do this quite often. They rewritten the ending of Fight Club. Hmm. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, you know, as you know, in the scene where you know the Pixies are singing and Tyler or um, uh, the main character has has uh, gotten you know killed basically Tyler Durden you know the the second personality spoilers for you if you haven't seen the film um, kills him off and then you know anarchy wins and they they take out the big financial institutions and blow up all the buildings in the downtown core which to me is kind of ridiculous because that's not where the money is but um, they uh, the Chinese government has decided that no uh, they've written rewritten the ending it just ends with a screen saying something to the effect of um, you know, the authorities figured out, you know, found the, found him, captured all the, you know, these insurgents who were doing this stuff, and he was sent away to prison for the rest of his life. And that's what, how they, they claim the story ends. And they've done this a few times with other other stories. But, of course, you know, there's lots of memes and stuff going around about um, about this, right? So, yeah, it says... Uh, yeah, they they figured out they figured uh, um, they figured out who he was and they put him in jail and you know he'll be discharged from a hospital in 2012 or something like that. No, no, what's to say? Or is this a joke? I think it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I have. So there you go. Honestly, I've been waiting for someone within the. I didn't. I didn't see any comment from David Fincher or any of the people that worked on it. I, I think it's also very kind of interesting that it happened on the same week that uh, that Meatloaf died, which of course he's a, a character in the film. But I. Um, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can't say I'm surprised by this. Like, are you are you at all surprised that the authoritarian regime, uh, you know, basically rewrote the ending of a movie to say that the authoritarians always win in the end? Like, I don't know. Well, to be honest with you, I'm surprised that you can even watch this film in, in China, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty subversive for the way that they approach things. Yeah. And they're also talking about they talk here. Another example is apparently the Bohemian Rhapsody uh, film. They took a lot of Freddie Freddie Mercury's, Mercury's exploits out of it. Well, yeah, yeah, that just makes sense, right? They don't want to promote that kind of thing. I'm surprised. Again, I don't even know why they show that movie there. You know? Um, yeah. Anyway, just uh, interesting. Interesting. I mean, you know, the country that has no internet. You know, are we surprised by this? Really? No. No. Alrighty. Well, speaking of uh, craziness, let's move on to Mortal Kombat. Yeah, so the Mortal Kombat movie that came out on HBO Max and apparently is uh, going to get a sequel. Apparently it did well enough uh, to do that. It did have um, some box office, but came out, you know, during that pandemic-y time frame. And so guessing most of the, the, the reason this is getting made is because of the streaming numbers as uh, Max continues to be a big part of HBO's, you know, current and future value streams. So, uh, I guess spoilers for the first movie, they, for a franchise, and we talked about this in the review, uh, many moons ago for a franchise that's all about a fighting tournament. There literally is no tournament in the first movie. So presumably <laughs> this one will go into the actual tournament. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's not that big of a spoiler, but if you win and no, I was going to, I, I got to ask, how does it end? Um, Hey, wouldn't it be great if we had a tournament? Yeah, it essentially is like, okay, the whole premise is Shang Tsung wants to avoid the tournament and and cheat on the rules, right? And so he does not 
win in that respect as vague spoilers for the movie so it's like okay i guess the tournament is actually going to happen the the good guys are going to have to to get themselves together for that hmm. that next challenge hmm. so it's a cliffhanger in a very strange way it, it, it's almost like a prequel to what this will be this was dune this was this was the uh the unsatisfying ending of dune <laughs> yeah <laughs> isn't that movie about being lost in a desert though isn't that the whole point of dune I suppose, although, you know, after all that build up to be like, hey, we're all going to go for a walk into the desert. Cool. I don't know. Yeah. That one, the more that I, I have not watched it since the first watching, I've been hoping that I'll watch it again the second time soon. But I've, I've after we did the Spockies where it won movie of the year, I found myself ruminating more and more. And obviously it's unfortunate timing because so many people didn't get a chance to see Spider-Man, but I still feel like. As much as I enjoyed Dune and it was a beautiful movie, it, it was ultimately mildly unsatisfying. Yeah, uh, and I really enjoyed the Ghostbusters movie too. Agreed, that same, same absolutely, and that right. was a very satisfying, probably one of the most satisfying, like long-range sequels that I've seen in a long time. Sometimes those really fail to land. The let's do a sequel twenty-five years or thirty years later. I was going to say, but did it even have any kind of like like major buzz? Like it didn't have the same kind of buzz that Dune had. I mean, like no. everybody kind of like was issued a ticket to Dune almost, it seemed like. Right? Well, it was the thing because it was such a big, big build up about it. And again, I think, you know, Denis Villeneuve has enough of a reputation now that people just want to see it. Plus, there is the hives for those, you know, uh, what's his name? The young man who's the, the star, the French, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, mm -hmm. he... Um, you know, he has a bit of an audience following already on his own. So, yeah, there was just a lot of hype around. The, I mean, and again, to be fair, that first movie cast is stacked. But, I, you know, again, I get it. I absolutely get why people enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it, too. I just think as I reflected on it, that was the part that kind of let me down was you didn't really tell me a whole story. You told me half a story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, having read the book, I can tell you it, it's just very unsatisfactory. Yeah. Alrighty, so let's move on to the main part of our show, which is to talk about Star Trek. Star Trek! And this time we're talking about Star Trek Prodigy, Season 1, Episode 9. The two-parter, this is Part 1, A Moral Star. Yeah, so this one begins seemingly right after the uh, the ending of the previous episode, where Rock Talk had explained how she had brought the crew back after her uh, Groundhog Day-esque sort of extended time to learn all the things she needed to learn. Um, I started out this episode really weirded out that the entire crew was, was there uh, with the, um, the sort of dreadnought husk body that was there. I was like, how did they not throw that yeah. out an airlock yeah. <laughs> and then torpedo it as soon as they, they, they could. I thought for sure that was going to end up with bad things. But in this case, it was uh, very fortunate because the, sort of accidentally knock it over and the uh, the r2d2-esque video of the diviner's demands uh come to play yeah it comes out and says years ago you served my father in the clone Wars, yeah. and now he begs you to help him with the struggle against the empire <laughs> yeah more or yeah. less except with more you know uh, villain-esque things of like by the way um, come back to we're gonna me. make a trade you give me the protostar and in return i will not kill all these uh, miners that are essentially hostages of my uh that's um, miners in all sense of the word, right? It's it, they're they are miners yeah. who are miners. That's true. They're they're yes. children, uh, child labor workforce that he's got there, right? Dark, very very Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah. And so that sort of brings us to the, uh, what we're calling the Starfleet decision, which is, uh, in some respects, the, you know, are they literally going to be able to use their last proto warp jump using the proto drive to, um, get over to Starfleet's space and say, Hey, Starfleet, this bad thing is happening. Can you go save these miners? The pro of that choice is you're going to be able to get people who are actually trained to do this thing and, you know, more than one ship, right? They're going to bring a fleet to to bear here. The downside being, if you make that route, you don't know if there's going to be enough time before the diviner kills the children. The other decision is to just, you know, go back and try to, to take on the diviner himself. The pro is you have a at least a time-based better chance of being able to do something to help those miners. The downside is you're literally outnumbered 101, is what they say. And they do come to make the sort of metaphorical Starfleet decision, which Hollow Janeway keys in on of like, well, going into this hopeless situation to try to help others is a very Starfleet thing to do. So I think that's a nice one to sort of explain to the kiddos, this is what being in Starfleet is about. It's funny, they, do. They, say, yeah. they, they say they're outnumbered 100 to 1. I guess that includes like the little robot cat things that they're talking about, because when you see them out there, there's six of them, and the Diviner and Dreadnought, and it really is just Diviner and Dreadnought. They kind of leave everything else behind, so really they outnumber them 3 to 1. <laughs> yeah, from, yeah. A, from a talking people standpoint, that's yeah. probably true. I think it was more from a, how many pew-pew-pews can we put out at the same time that they pew-pew-pew? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, but this... But it's it's also, it's also from a kid's perspective, it's it's the dad versus the daughter, right? So the dad mm-hmm. is the menace, you know, the menacing guy, right? So he's going to have more power than, than the child, right? Yeah, they definitely have those themes going throughout this season, and it's coming to sort of a, a crest here in the, in the two-part finale is what it seems. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a nice scene of them doing uh, the prep work before they go into this negotiation. So this is showing some growth throughout the season, right? That they're not just going to wing it as they normally do. And they're not going to just do it as individuals. They're putting in all of their skills, including Murph, which, um, you know, we'll come up to what ends up happening in the episode there. But uh, uh, spoilers, the, the exact technique that I thought was going to happen in the previous episode yep. ended up happening in this one. <laughs> yep. Good call, buddy. Good call. You nailed it. Yeah. Um, We're so going to have Murph do something that we've telegraphed deeply. Okay. Yeah, because otherwise it was like he was only there for moral support, like a pet or a mascot. <laughs> right? He was not bringing anything to the uh, the literal and metaphorical table that they had there as they were planning. Uh, so they proto-warp into the meeting. It's kind of a cool effect. I don't know how it showed up for you all coming out of the TV break, but it just like has like an oomph to it as it mm. it yeah. comes in right after the uh, the annoying commercials that I see on the on the <laughs> the uh, low tier plan of Paramount Plus. Um, and they meet with uh, the Diviner, right? They get tractor beamed in by the uh, the Rev Twelve, uh, just as they had, had planned, and. Uh, very Darth Vader-esque, the uh, Diviner has altered the deal, right? He's like, oh, by the way, um, so I'm going to have to keep my daughter? <laughs> and they're like, uh, okay, also, uh, we don't have a ship, so if you take the ship, how the heck are we going to get away? Right? So they, they do a little trade. It's like, alright. Gwyn steps in. Like, alright, well, I'll, she'll sacrifice herself, and the rest of the crew will get to keep the, uh, the Rev-12 ship, right? Um... 
as you might expect, the diviner's like, ha ha ha, I lawyered you. So, you know, as he's <laughs> flying away in the protostar, he, uh, what do they do? They phaser the uh, the power generators and like, yep. well, they're not going to have yeah, gravity. Yeah. They're not going to have their uh, atmospheric shields. They're all going to die. I promised them a ship. I did not promise them their lives. Right. Very, very villainesque. And we get a, a wet uh goth the hollow janeway that, uh, yeah, that was awesome people have been, that people yeah. have been calling in the internet <laughs> the uh yeah, dark side yeah yeah i'm your master now kind of uh, <laughs> kind of thing for real hologram i love that like her makeup changes like come on <laughs> whole color scheme and everything <laughs> changes um but it turns out that gwyn was really just stalling the diviner they've she and her father have some sort of uh telekinetic or not telekinetic um telepathic Mm-hmm. connection between each other he's like you're you're stalling me what's going on and it turns out that the proto drive or at least the star itself is not on the ship one of the things they had planned to do and where they talked about using the cargo transporters before is they had actually faked out um oh i don't remember the medusans character's name it's the name of the oh, zero Medu- zero thank you zero yeah they had, had faked out as if they had uh yeah, they 3D printed a zero, yeah. Yeah, they 3D printed a, another body there and, and had Murph swallow and contain the protostar piece. So he shoved in there, uh, pretending to be a zero. Um, and so they, they don't have a, a protodrive that's functional on the, the protostar. And so I gotta so, go back and watch for continuity. Did was was Rock Talk carrying Zero the whole time? I think so. I think. Yeah, because cause, cause, like it was a duplicate. It wasn't actually a functional zero. It was just a, a replica, right? Yeah, it was just like a housing that would uh, look the same. And so you've got uh, the, the part that goes into the to-be-continued sort of very quick cut is that uh, the remaining crew on the Rift well needs to put things back together, get power going, get gravity going back together before the Diviner is going to return in the Protostar, which he's not that far away because they hit maximum warp earlier in this thing. And without the proto drive, they can hit 9.7. So he's definitely going to come zooming in here real fast. Hmm. Yeah. So it ended really abruptly for me. Did it, I guess it just, it just like they were just heading off to do their thing. And then titles came up and is that like that for you on the low tier of Paramount plus? Yeah. It, it was even more confusing because when it comes back from the pre-programmed commercial break stuff, it just goes into the the theme song for the credits, and I said, like, "Wait, did yeah, did it yeah. go too far?" And I went back. I was like, "Oh no, it literally just cuts right there. There's no uh, to be continued or anything." Yeah, no, it did the same thing for us because yeah. So when you go when you rewind, you, you don't have to sit through the commercial again, do you? Thankfully, no. The the one thing that they do right is they don't make you rewatch that stuff. Unlike um, yeah, uh, Crunchyroll has historically been like, "Oh, did you go back in time to this one spot? I guess you get to watch the commercial again." annoying yeah some some of the tv apps do that some of the rogers built apps do that if you're watching like a tv station sort of app yeah you know, you yeah sit through the commercials yeah so it uh it sets us up uh pretty nicely for uh if not smoothly from a transition standpoint it does feel like this was meant to be one big episode that they chopped up into into two which is surprising because when they showed the first one, which was a two-parter, they they did it as one long episode for us here, right? I think I, I think there might be some tensions here between like what are they going to do for Nickelodeon? Would they put this on on the cable networks at some point? 
Um, when it comes to, to premieres, it's not atypical for premieres to be longer than the normal show uh, time slot would be. So I think the premiere being uh, one two-part long episode is, is normal. I think if I were to guess here, given that Discovery is going to begin on February 10th again, and this show is slated to end on, uh, at least for the break, on February 3rd, I'm guessing it was a, oh, we cannot have a one-week gap in Star Trek because people will cancel. <laughs> we cannot have people canceling. <laughs> right. Find a way to make that this Lopez guy's going to drop us again. We better get on this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we talk about the universe uniforms now? Yeah, let's I like I like these uniforms, I got to say. Yeah. You know, the cadet uniforms. Yeah, like the, I think they're cadet uniforms, Yeah, right? maybe it's the black or something. They, I don't they know, must have been because I was thinking like, oh, it's funny they're not divided by like rank, they're not divided by subject area. They they were just uniform as in true, uni- uniformity, yeah. true uniformity. I guess the idea is that yeah, they're supposed to be all they are cadets now because the you know, a couple episodes back they were like, "Well, we're not cadets." Now they clearly are more like cadets. Even even Janeway changes her uh, her colors to, to match, match them. Yeah, there, I thought right? that was interesting. Yeah, the sort of gray. Yeah. The uh, other scene that killed me was the coffee. The because the, there was the mm. whole running joke throughout Voyager of how much Janeway enjoyed her coffee, and then they're all like doing the montage where they're like trying to come up with a plan and they're gonna make it work. And he, she's like, "Anybody feel like a cup of coffee?" And they, of course, yeah. they're now she's feeding coffee to children, which is hilarious. <laughs> i did think yeah. it was interesting you know we, we talked about the, the way this sort of ended abruptly i i felt like it didn't end as abruptly as some like it didn't end on a cliffhanger really in the same way that maybe trek has in the past or other shows have in the past if this was meant to be sort of more enticing you'd have ended with you know the the shields going down them hanging on to the the rope uh, trying not to get sucked out into space oh my gosh what are we gonna do and then like the diviner being like more ha 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 and that would have been a more you know oh we have to you know oh tune in next week to see if everybody survives they went like two minutes further than that to the point of they all acknowledged that this was a ruse. They were like off to do their thing. And they're like, we're going to pull together. We're going to do this together. And that's where they ended. And I thought, well, that's a very interesting, like, is this for, you know, is the current generation of kids not able to handle like, oh my God, it's going to be a week and they might be dead. Like it really felt like they went two minutes into the next episode to sort of give you that more sort of stable plateau to to leave upon than, oh, our heroes are in peril, which is a very sort of traditional way to sort of end that that story of you want to tune in next time to find out what happens to them. Now you're like, well, we know what they're going to do. They just told us. To me, it was an interesting way to do that. Maybe, again, for that younger audience, they didn't want to have them be like, oh, no, Rock Talk's going to die. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that. Could, totally could be it. Like it's a more it's a more pleasing happy ending, right? So yeah, but for a two parter, like again, when it's a, when it's a, a strict two parter, not even like a, a you know a pseudo two parter, which uh, you know all of these episodes have had some sort of continuity. But yeah, I just thought it was really interesting to sort of not leave them in that jeopardy that you sort of you know have gotten used to with those old you know nineteen thirties forties movie serials. Till now, that's that's been a very traditional storytelling method of you know oh you better turn the it's like ending a chapter on a on a moment like that right in a book right like you oh we what something's gonna happen oh I better turn the page and find out what happens next 
in this case, they were like, oh, no, 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 everybody's fine. Now they're just going to figure out how to solve this problem. <laughs> like, oh, all right. True, but but mm-hmm. even when you read a kid's book, like there's always the the point where the kid says, "Just one more chapter, just one more chapter," which they can't do here because of you know constraints and time and whatever. But yeah, you know what I mean. Like like even in kid books, they they end on a on a sort of bit of a cliffhanger. They don't really they don't really resolve things from one chapter to the next, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Today's generation would have all thought Flash Gordon was going to die. You know, like every single week. They just couldn't handle it. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You guys didn't think about it as as parents as being uh, leaning on the forgiving side of saving the sanity of the parents who are watching this with their kids. Imagine if it had ended with the equivalent of like Mister War Fire, and then yeah. kids like Dad, Mom, did, did he fire? Did he fire? Oh, I, I don't know. We'll have to wait. I, I, I didn't make the show. How would I know if they fired or not? <laughs> for for a week, yeah. You know, it's fair. Yeah. I, guess, I guess it depends on the age. You know, like. I just think about where I was as a, you know, I'm, I'm thinking this is sort of teeny, like, you know, probably tween, tween age is probably about where you want to start with this. Maybe, you know, nine, 10 would probably be a bit as young as you want to go. But maybe there are younger kids who are watching this who are like, oh, my God, it's all horrible. But, you know, if your kid is that sensitive, don't don't watch Star Trek with them. Put the Teletubbies back on. They're fine. It, it did seem to, it did seem odd while I was watching the show to sort of like it did have sort of a funny feel to it. Like, I kept wondering, why is Gwen giving up so easily? Why did she just, you know... I mean, that was was that part of the plan they talked about beforehand? or Because once she gets down in front of the Diviner, I, I kind of wondered, like, you know, when a kid is away from the parent, they can talk about, you know, how they're going to put on a brave face and all that kind of stuff, but then when they get in front of the actual parent, they crumble, right? Mm. Uh, she didn't quite do that, but I kind of wondered why, in, in, you know, and clearly it, it did telegraph that there was something they knew there was because they did talk about hey we've got this trick we can pull but so we didn't really know what the trick was going to be right Mm -hmm. um but but the whole time that they're you know bending over and letting him have their way and take the ship and you know they it's almost like they gave up too easily you know sort of thing yeah and again it's funny because he's been fairly shrewd throughout this whole thing but then he's just like oh of course you've done what i've told you to i've got you you know where i want you he kind of bought into that pretty willingly too True. Yeah, it, it is. It did sort of feel very, very like uh, simplistic in that sense, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm surprised they didn't do the the typical Star Trek trope and you know computer start self destruct sequence twenty seven. You know, <laughs> well, it's funny because they he uh, Dow says that at one point. You know, oh, we've told Janeway to start the self destruct if things go wrong. I'm like, uh, could do they let the holograms set off the self destructs? Because I'd like to talk to the engineers <laughs> behind that, please. <laughs> That, yeah, that sounds like a they, terrible, they done terrible the plan. simulation? Yeah. Yeah. Like, bad plan, bad plan. <laughs> Red alert. Well, also, it just it seemed very, very un-Star Trek-y, like, for me. For me. Like, when, when they're coming and the ship's flying in towards the, the other station there, and he says, lower the shields. Like, whenever has a Star Trek episode gone and lowered the shields as soon as they come within, you know, phaser distance of any other, you know opponent right yeah it's just it just seemed odd yeah anyway but then you know now that they've showed us what the trick was you know it's okay it's all set up for a happy ending here we go yep all right cool tune in next week for the happy ending and then our review of the happy ending all right are you doing the recap of the mandalorian too honey i see you put some notes yeah i I can sure okay i can't do the recap this is ostensibly season one episode five yeah. entitled the return of the mandalorian of uh 
uh, Book of Boba Fett, but it's really kind of like another episode for the previous season of uh, Mandalorian, it feels. Yeah, this uh, is the coda. Not. This is the coda episode to season two or the first episode of season three. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't decide if it was a 2.5 or like a, a pre, you know, it's, uh, episode zero of uh, season three. Because it's, it's, except for the recap of previous episodes and the very end of this episode, it really doesn't star um, Book of Boba Fett character, which is interesting. I guess these, uh, these Disney Plus shows definitely get to play a lot with crossing over quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That, that's one of the things that we were excited about, right? Now, now we've got Boba Fett, The Mandalorian, Ahsoka, and theoretically sort of the Rangers of the New Republic, although that series is dead, all sort of concurrently happening in the same time and space so they could build towards this sort of massive crossovery kind of uh, event piece and build all of them towards, you know, the larger storyline, which is, I don't know what, Grand Admiral Thrawn. I don't know where they're going with all this stuff, but it's, I think that's going to be a lot of fun to have these shows happening in the same world. Yeah. 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 In, in, indeed. I, I thought it would be a bit more of like, Oh, here's where they're going to introduce characters and, and have a little bit of arcs, kind of the way that the Ahsoka stuff worked. Of mm. like, Oh, it's setting up another series, but, like stuff is happening in a few episodes here. Here, this was like, oh no, there, there is no Boba Fett in this episode, other than the the recap of the prior episode where um, Boba and Fennec are talking about like we need muscle if yeah. we're going to take on the, the syndicate, right? Uh, so we'll come back to that at the tail end. But we start off the regular part of the episode with uh, Mando going in to uh, butcher the butchers, or at least one butcher, right? He's he's collecting a bounty on a guy and. You've got pretty cool, um, interesting sequence of him using the dark saber, which in my mind kind of really points to this is why normal people don't use lightsabers. And yeah. It's really easier yeah. if you're a Jedi yeah. and trained because he like straight up accidentally ends up getting self cut by his own blade. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, but cool sequence, uh, kind of interesting that he's like, look, man, like I'm to the workers who are remaining after he takes out their boss. He's like, look, I have no quarrel with you. And, uh, your your now dead boss has a lot of money in there. Like I'm not here for that. That's up to you all to take that if you want. And they and they do. Right, he gets his way out, and uh, sort of uh, ends up finding his way through means of turning in that bounty and uh, avoiding people cajoling him around. Like, hey, why don't you why don't you eat with us and take off your mask and so we can see who you are, kind of thing. He, uh, he does get the info from them at the little like restaurant party of like this is the way to get to the covert right the mandalorians the um the is it the armorer what's what's the yeah the armorer is what they've been calling the the leader of the group yeah and and the big tank guy is the the other one who's who's remaining the he reconvenes with them and finds them and sort of catches them up to what happened right with the uh, Moff Gideon and what they ended up having with the the other Mandalorians, uh, was it Bo-Katan? Is that the name? Yeah, Bo-Katan Kreese, yeah. Bo-Katan's folks, and well as the, you know, what ended up happening with the Darksaber. And oh, by the way, he owns the Darksaber because he he legitimately took it through, uh, through combat, which leads us into eventually that sort of like rumble in the space jungle when uh, the other tank guy, Mandalorian guy, is like, yo, so my ancestors made that. I think that belongs to me as inheritance. So I'm going to fight you for it. And and they do fight. And Mando ends up, uh, ends up winning, even though he's like kind of not very good with the saber, which 
he had done a little bit of training session and he's kind of fighting against what it's naturally trying to do. Um, and they go through their little sort of, uh, you know, I verify, I vow that I have not shown my face sort of thing. And he sort of struggles a little bit to answer. They're like, you know, you have to, you have to say whether you have or not, like truthfully. And he's like, yeah, I've, I've shown my face and like, Oh, because we're weirdos. <laughs> we're the weird cult Mandalorians. As, as we learned from Bo-Katan, um, you can't, be a Mandalorian anymore, and so he can't show his face again, sort of metaphorically, except unless he bathes in the underground lakes on Mandalore, which apparently no longer exists after they got bombarded right. by uh, yeah. just sort of blown up by the Empire. So that presumably will be sort of the main thrust for um, Mando, along with the the thing I sort of skipped was that um, his Beskar spike. He gets it uh, reforged into, I think, chainmail. Maybe that, that was my exactly. guess. Yeah, I saw. I, I was trying to figure out what they were making there. The only thing that made sense was chainmail for Grogu. Well, and I was going to mm-hmm. say, like that big long spear ended up making that little tiny pile of like. What did they do with the extra leftover Bespar? Right? They must have had more. By the way, that just to follow up, that's her name is Ishi Tib, and she's the Guildmaster. Ah. Voiced by voiced by Helen Sadler. Yeah, she's also yeah. been in a lot of a lot of uh, rebel stuff and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if Grogu is going to eventually end up with a uh, Frodo style mithril vest yeah. that he'll just sort of secretly have on yeah. hidden, or if he's going to go full on like King Arthur Excalibur, like have the helmet or the 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 cowl part of the thing too, which uh, which would be sweet. Well, I'm wondering if this all pays forward. I wonder if this is building towards the fall of the Jedi Temple story that we've mm. seen played out in the, the most recent trilogy where, where Kylo Ren, uh, in response to Luke, seeing the dark side in him, basically blows up and and they kill all the, the, the Jedi trainees. I wonder if this armor might be the thing that saves Grogu. Oh, maybe. maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, what's interesting, too, is that... Um, the point about the spear is that she says that, um, you, you know, you can't have a weapon made out of Bespar because it's the only thing that will go through Bespar um, armor. And it, interesting, even even the dark saber won't cut through cut through the Bespar, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it's like the ultimate rock, paper, scissors, Bespar, you know? Yeah. yeah. So from a, from a sort of philosophy and metaphor thing, it sort of makes sense that he would sort of go with that, like, oh, yeah, it sort of against our philosophy that yeah. I don't know if it's Mandalorian philosophy or if it's more like their weird sort of cult part of Mandalorian uh, uh, religion where it should be armor, right? And there's also kind of that practical aspect of like he is actually giving up the uh, sort of tactical advantage he has. As he stated, like it will block a lightsaber. <laughs> this is useful to have in case I run into things that that have lightsabers or, or dark saber-like things. And it does turn it sort of nicely into armor for a foundling and not just any foundling, a very specific one because he wanted it for Grogu. So I do think you guys are right that um, because fans had sort of wondered since the end of season two of the Mandalorian of like, Oh no, does Grogu get murdered when the Jedi temple falls? (laughs) Right. And I think they're saying here, well, no, because Mando is going to go back and and reunite. Right. He he clearly has uh, a, a very close relationship. With, with Grogu. Yeah. Yeah. And he's clearly having an issue detaching, right? Like he gave him to Luke, Luke to come back to the D with the Jedi, but 
clearly clearly we're not done with the relationship between uh Dinjarin and and Rogu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um in, in this point of the story is where Mando again not having a replacement for the Razor Crest is uh taking what I call Spirit Airlines here the, the yeah. commercial travel to Moss Eisley on Tatooine because I forget the mechanic lady's name, but but she's apparently said that she had a replacement. Amy Sedaris. Yeah, you had the name. Oh, good. Thank you. Oh, Amy um, Sedaris Pelimato. was the actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pelimato is the name of the character. This one was a little bit fun uh, of a scene for a few things. One, when it begins, you have um, you have the sort of TSA sort of moment where yeah. he's got to take off all the weapons that he has and and pack them up into his. Uh, into his checked baggage. And did you guys notice the style of droid that was, uh, I, I know we've seen them before in book of Boba Fett, but, and I didn't call it out in the thing, but did you see the style of droid that is the one who's telling him that he can't have the, um, the weapons. If you've ever been to the star tours ride, that's the okay. one who is uh, piloting the, the sort of, you know, commercial shuttle that you're on that takes you into the death star and stuff. Nice. Yeah, good to know. So that was pretty neat. Did you ever get to Florida? Yeah. I would like to say for yeah. the record, Jaime, that that ride that he was on, commercial as it was, looked way better than a Spirit Airlines flight. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> <laughs> it, it looked uh, it looked a little nicer than in the average Spirit Airlines flight. Just saying, just saying. Yeah, yeah, and and you had a cute little moment where the uh, the little alien kid. Oh, oh yeah, the Rodian kid. Yeah, sort of looking at him and sort of. Like little kids do, just turning around in the seats and kind of annoying their neighbors sort of thing with uh, yeah. with goodness in their hearts. Yep. Uh, so he does end up in, in Moss Eisley. We do have the sort of what I call the American graffiti moment with the Naboo N1. Uh, very appropriate because this is a, yeah. a Lucas property, uh, at least in, in origin, etc. Which I, as soon as I saw the thing with the car, I was like, oh my God, it's a Naboo N1 from uh, the Phantom Menace, isn't it? <laughs> And it sure was. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, mostly parts, I suppose, but they do end up putting it back together and and sort of customizing it out there. And he takes the N1 out, uh, out for a spin, as I like to say. That's a good trick. Um, and gets... Uh, and he gets pulled over, yeah. He gets pulled over. He gets pulled over because they're like, yo, you don't have, like, the right transponder or something, which she had said, like, oh, this is pre-empire so it's not going to have any tracking stuff so it's going to be nicer for what you do even though it's obviously a much smaller kind of thing than than the big gunship of a, of a razor crest um he tries talking it out and then eventually says forget it i'm just going to zoom out of here and he does <laughs> and uh the the two x-wing cops uh especially appa is like bro i don't want to be filling out paperwork on this one let's just not tell anybody that this happened which is uh, which is great. Great to see that character return from uh, the previous season of uh, Mandalorian. Yep, and we got to see that thing really zoom too, right? Because the uh, I guess the rookie companion in the X wing is like, what? How did it? How did he do a jump? His hyperdrive didn't turn on. They're like, no, no, no. That's that's just a sublight drive. That's just how fast it is. Pretty neat to see that. Yep. And after Mando comes back, uh, he gets a. Uh, a little bit of an intro, a reintroduction to Finnick, who offers him money to be the muscle. And he says, no, that's, uh, this is going to be on the house. I'm going to go do this for free for my friend Boba. And there we go. Cool. Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting episode as, as a fan of The Mandalorian. But for a seven-episode season of the 
Book of Boba Fett, I found it incredibly disappointing. <laughs> it was it's really weird. Weird. Absolutely weird to to have this. I mean, it, you're right. Like, it wasn't even... Obviously, it was still set in the same timeline, set in the same, you know, the ghost of Tatooine and everything. It, but it just, it was so Mandalorian-focused. It just felt really incongruous to the book of Boba Fett. And maybe that's mm-hmm. the whole point, is that it's supposed to show that this that they're part of the same interconnected world and everything else. But it was just so strange. Like, you're right, I mean, like, not a glimpse of Tamora Morrison or Boba Fett in this episode, other than the, 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 the you know, preview. It, to me, it just it was a really strange digression in a seven episode series to do an entire episode focused on not your protagonist. Mm-hmm. R- really, really odd. G- good. Again, like I, I enjoyed this episode immensely. I enjoyed spending time with that character again. I enjoyed more of the Mandalorian lore. I enjoyed the duel that he has with Paz Vizla. I, I, I. I just think it's so strange that they spent this much time. I thought for, like, it was going to be like, oh, they'll show him what he's up to. Then he'll get hit up by Fennec. He'll join the cause. And then we'll sort of get into that. But to spend an entire full episode essentially being the coda to season two or the beginning of season three of The Mandalorian was a very unusual choice. It is. It, it makes me wonder. Um, it makes me wonder if they're going to leave some plot line for this season of book of boba fett slightly um uh open and not resolved i'm not saying the main plot i, I truly believe the main plot with the syndicate is probably going to be resolved yeah. in this season but i wonder if there's some other plot line that will remain unresolved maybe with the huts or something that will then be a weird episode in the middle of mandalorian or ahsoka or something where it's like oh okay yeah. here you go here's the other part of that just so they can keep things interconnected yeah yeah, and maybe that's the greater purpose of this is just they're going to start to see more crossing over of these characters between the series they have going just so that you feel that interconnectivity so that you a have to watch them all and b so that you feel like there's a greater storyline happening here. Um I wanted to circle back to the whole battle that he has with the 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 uh heavy gunner Mandalorian um, who they do mention by name as as Paz Vizla. So I, I just wanted to remind mm-hmm. myself. So did both you guys finish Clone Wars and Rebels? I can't remember where you guys left off. No, I have not, no. but I'm okay with. I'm half almost done, but no. So the thing to know about the Boba Fett series and the Mandalorian on Disney Plus is that they are sort of spun out of the world of Clone Wars and of Rebels and to an extent Bad Batch because Dave Filoni, who was the sort of showrunner for those series and is the showrunner for this, is huge on The Mandalorian, always has been. And The Mandalorian Mm -hmm. play a pretty prominent role in all three of those series to an extent. There's this sort of thread that weaves through and some at sometimes it's a major part. There's probably twenty or so episodes of those three series that that are not necessarily essential watching for watching The Mandalorian or or watching mm-hmm. Boba Fett, but they certainly help a lot. You know, there's there's Boba Fett origin stuff in Clone Wars. There's 
there's you know Fennec stories in Bad Batch, and then there's greater Mandalorian overarching like who leads, what happened, how did they run afoul of of the Empire, all these different things. This was the first episode, first anywhere where we actually saw the Great Purge. We actually saw a glimpse of the bombing of Mandalore, where we saw Mandalore basically turned into nothingness, where they just seemed to drop nuke after nuke on Mandalore. And so, you know, we we didn't never saw that in the cartoons. We never really saw that that conclusion. But it's it's really interesting. But they do reference even in this episode, they reference the fact that um, Bo-Katan had the dark saber at one point and that she was trying to unite the Mandalorians that took place in rebels and she was actually given the dark saber as opposed to taking it in battle and that was one of the things that they they, they sort of said was you know you can't just take it wasn't really hers it wasn't yeah, really hers and therefore it didn't work so they've done two things there. One, they've told you that there's a backstory, so you can go back and watch how that happened. Two, it telegraphs the fact that eventually Bo-Katan is probably going to gun for Mandalorian, the Mandalorian or, or Din Djarin, just as we saw Paz Vizla do here. The name Paz Vizla is really important in this, too, because uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, his ancient ancestor is Tari Vizla, and Tari Vizla is the, it was a, a Jedi uh, Mandalorian, which is an oxymoron right, in the story. Yeah, and they mention that very briefly here. But also, Clan Vizsla is a major arc of the Clone Wars. The 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 plotting of Clan Vizsla to take control of Mandalore and just sort of who this clan is and their relative importance to the to the Mandalorian cause is, um, like the House of Dukas, right? Um, you know the the guys who are always trying to kick. Oh yeah, but, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, has a Duras? Dura, Duras, yes, Duras. Duras. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely that. It's basically this like this you know um, ill-intentioned clan that plays a major role in the Clone Wars, and then actually the, some of that mm. stuff spills right over into Rebels. So, all of this to say that it was interesting that they named that big bulking character. Who had had a sort of somewhat friendly relationship with with uh, Din Djarin in the Mandalorian and helped support his escape with Grogu and and then to have them have this sort of showdown where, where you know now he's carrying this incredibly valuable not just weapon My but precious. symbol yeah. yeah it's a symbol yeah. of leadership and so now he's just gotten kicked out of the Mandalorian clan for taking off his helmet but he's also theoretically got a claim to the leadership of the overarching Mandalorian people. But then we also found out that the covert that he was sort of supporting is down to, to two people, two people. Yeah. So, but then we also know that, you know, Bo-Katan and, and her people are out there too. So anyway, all this to say there is a wealth of Mandalorian lore to be discovered. And that is on the same service that you're paying for already. If you're watching a Disney plus, you could probably just find, I'm sure there must be resources online, I haven't looked myself, but that explain, like, if you're into the Mandalorian stuff and you don't want to watch every single episode of those series, here are the 10, 20 episodes that you should watch that right. sort of give you the backstory. But there's a lot there, and, and it really will help you contextualize exactly what's sort of going on and give you a lot more uh, nuance and a lot more layers to this stuff. And it will also... It will also telegraph where I think they're going on a few of these things, too. Like, I think we're going to see some of those characters from Rebels, because Rebels is set right before A New Hope, which is uh, about 10 years 
before the events of what we're seeing right now. So you could see those characters show up easily. Uh, Ahsoka being one of them, of course, we've already seen. But I think between the Ahsoka series, the Boba Fett series, the Mandalorian series, I'd be shocked if we didn't see more characters from Rebels, including other Mandalorian characters, pop up. So it's going to be really good. But but there's a lot of, of really good in-canon in-continuity stuff that's out there in the cartoon series, and I know the cartoons aren't for everybody, but there's a lot of stuff there that you can really dip your dip your feet into and, and really get a lot more background and understanding of what's going on here. Cool. Yeah. By the way, there's some really cool Easter eggs in this show. I don't know if you... The, the part that they find that they fixed the ship with, the big long tube-looking thing. Oh, from the mm-hmm. trash compactor. recognize that from the... Yeah, trash compactor thing that, that Han Solo tries to stop the trash compactor with. And the guy, the, the co-pilot, the second Lieutenant Reed that was flying along with Appa, is, uh, his name is Max Lloyd-Jones, and he was the body double who played Luke Skywalker in The Rescue. Oh, cool. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So maybe they've kept him around to, to, to be Luke again? Well, they give, give him some talkie, talkie talk parts, right? So he gets more money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stick around. We might need you for something else. Yeah, stick around, kid. He looked a lot like 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 Mark Hamill back in the day, too, if you look, if you look go back and look again, right? Yeah. He had that sort of young, you know, Wedge Antilles, Luke Skywalker kind of look to him. Yeah. As they were patrolling the, patrolling the skies of Tatooine, right? As one does. Now the Empire's gone. Yep, and they, they she makes a comment too in in the story about how short the uh, the empire lasted, right? In in terms of years, mm-hmm. there's, there's a point there. I forget what she said, like less than fifty years or something like that. Uh, Thirty years, I think she said for the empire. Yeah, I just I don't remember the number actually, but yeah, it was wasn't very much, right? So yeah, yeah, surprisingly, but she doesn't know about the new order yet, though we do. It's just yeah, last I mean, six episodes, yeah. six years. <laughs> Can we just forget about that? Pretty please. What? <laughs> Can we just forget about all that? Just please, please, Cameron. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I saw a uh, review of uh, How I Met Your Father after lacing into it last week, yeah. and uh, yeah, so I'm not going to watch it. Oh no, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it got it got eviscerated. The people were like, "It's also crap." So don't. Bother. I was like, "Oh, oh, there you go." All right. Oh, good. I um, I did notice this week that I was so I finished up those last two Marvel Netflix series. I was like, okay, so what am I going to watch next? I was looking around some of my streaming services, trying to figure out what the next program I should watch is, and uh, and I noticed that a new series had dropped on Disney Plus here that was a Hulu branded series, and it was Hit Monkey. And I remember reading last year that Hit Monkey was coming. Uh, Hit Monkey is a based on a Marvel comic, and I thought, oh, that's weird. I remember reading that was coming. It, it, it turns out they did exactly the same thing. They basically aired the entire season starting last fall in the United States on Hulu and then just dropped it here in Canada all at once because uh, it was done. It was already aired in the States. I was like, well, there's another one off the list. Screw you guys. Like, I honestly just don't understand the rationale like of putting stuff that far out of date from when it appears in its first run. Hmm. Because yeah. America, because America, I don't know. Like it just seems so arbitrary. I mean, I think you're looking from the wrong thing. I don't think it's like America holding this stuff back or any sort of weird stuff. I think it's Canadians deciding that they don't want to pony up for the the licensing rights or something. It's true. Although, again, it wouldn't make any sense for Disney Plus to to license it that way. Anyways, why wouldn't they just put it onto their streaming service as more exclusive content? Like, that's the part I don't understand. Why wouldn't you 
sort of day and date it the same way that you would any program from uh, from you're releasing on Hulu in the States, why wouldn't you do that here? Because that way you're guaranteeing that people's eyes will be on your platform. So if they want to see it, they can get it there as opposed to going to a secondary service or, or whatever else. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, I wonder if some of this is an artifact of... So let's separate out Disney+, Plus, which I think they have much more control over and I'm going to hope is much more consistent across the various countries where it's available. Hulu, even though they do have controlling interest now with the the pieces they picked up from Fox, um, was that weird sort of like consortium cabal of mm-hmm. companies putting stuff together. So I wonder if it sort of fell into sort of the weird cracks between like, you know, when's Disney Plus actually going to ship? Um, could we put it on Hulu instead? Yeah, I guess we could. And nobody really thought enough to, to hold on to the rights and, and, you know, sort of avoid the weird um, Marvel Netflix series sort of thing that we've, we're trying to bridge the gap on now. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible, but it nevertheless is, it's, is hard given that this has been a long-standing trend not to look at it and be like, this seems very specifically anti-Canadian. <laughs> now, maybe we I just mean, get our, I know I do get my backup about this where it's just like, why would you release something just in the United States? Like again, if you were putting it on broadcast television and your only opportunity to watch it was like tune in at eight 30 on Tuesday and you can watch it here. But once we went to a streaming world, that died like that whole mentality just died it's impossible you once you once you put it on a streaming platform the gloves are off people will grab it and put it on other platforms they will share it they will do other things the whole idea of like well now we're we're just going to air it on our streaming service and therefore it's it's just in our market just seems so i don't know absurdly naive let me go away from the economic reasons why this might have happened because that's what i sort of started with and now i'm starting to wonder if there are um uh government or regulatory reasons for some of this stuff so obviously we want to focus on canada but i have noticed that for some of these properties um people in the uk and australia tend to complain a lot and i do happen to know that Australia is similar to Canada. I don't know about the UK, but it's similar to to Canada in that it has imposed or is starting to impose um, uh, locally grown and made content stuff on these providers of Mm. uh, streaming where it's like, should should we release Hitmonkey in Canada? No, bro. We're at precisely 25% Canadian content. If we put this one show on there, we will be at 24.9% and then we're going to get beat up by the regulators. Mm. Let's wait until we, until we can buy a couple more Canadian shows to, to, to pad the numbers a little bit. Then we'll bring this over. Like, is it possible that something like that is uh, taking part? No, that's a very astute observation, though. Like, it's it's quite possible that there are some regulations in place. Although, I know here in Canada, there's been a lot of debate over, you know, uh, can they regulate, you know, Canadian content on these platforms? I, I don't know. It's it's tricky. It's it's really tricky line to walk on some of this stuff. How you how you dictate that without rocking the boat and or costing your users an insane amount of money where it's like, cool, there's more Canadian content on here. How much does it cost? Oh, <laughs> forget that. Well, I wonder, and I do believe it was 
and again, I'm not in that country or other countries that are doing this um, sort of uniquely privileged and that American content and culture tends to be pretty dominant throughout the globe. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we don't encounter this. There's no like, oh, my God, I'm watching Netflix. So it's like, what's with all this other non-American produced content is like, oh, cool. They got a bunch of shows from Korea. Great. Oh, they got a bunch of shows from India. That's cool. Um, it's not going to overwhelm the, the the vast swath of American originated and focused content. So I totally get that it might be a uh, well-intentioned but potentially misguided implementation of what they're trying to do, which is, I think, avoid losing out on on your own national culture's content right like when you're canada size when you're australia size or even the uk size you're pretty easy to get overwhelmed by the massive amount of stuff that the americans can produce so i wonder though if there won't be the effect of not necessarily increasing costs for things like this like oh it costs extra money to get let's say canadian content just to to slap it on there into uh, canadian netflix I might actually be more worried about um, uh, junky, crappy, and very cheap and inexpensive content just being thrown in there as like, hey, w- was a Canadian involved in this? Great. It qualifies. Throw it in there. <laughs> it costs well, us a nickel to buy the rights. You've also hit on the hallmark, which is unfortunate, and I and I know I'm going to get some flack for this, but that is the hallmark of Canadian television is that it also, you know, there is some good quality Canadian television. Again, Schitt's Creek was a Canadian television program. There mm-hmm. are some great Canadian television programs. But there's a bit of a stigma even within Canada of like, you know, when you're watching a Canadian program because the the quality slash uh, production value slash um, uh, caliber of acting or whatever can sometimes be a little bit less than. And so it, it is almost kind of a running joke here where you're like, was was this a Canadian show? Like, you know, you just you, you, you kind of know it when you see it. So, yeah, it. I guess it depends. You definitely want to push not only for having those uh, sort of content minimums just to make sure there is at least some chance of maintaining uh, national identity and, and culture, but I think it'd be great for you all to really push on the, and then here's some minimum bar of like, you got to have, you know, uh, some percentage of your shows have definitely got to win some Emmys or Golden Globes or some or or uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating above seventy five or something, you know, just to get like something other than other garbage. Otherwise, people will will game it, right? Netflix is incentivized to just check the legal box in Australia and Canada, and and that's yep. not what you want to see. What you want to see is make sure the entire world is not driven by American culture. Make sure that. In a, as you mentioned, in a streaming internet connected world, why can't we have the entire world's content come out at the same time? Yep. yep. Why not? What's wrong with that? If I want to watch something from like, uh, I don't know, Zimbabwe or something, there's a really cool Zimbabwe drama series. I should be able to watch it. Yep. Oh, and again, you're right. Some of it is just it's about partnerships because, you know, who paid for the development of the show and then who who actually, uh, you know, it, how much do you pay for licensing and yada, yada, yada. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky. I think there's a lot of value in, in having, you know, national content on channels that are available in your area, but I don't know that that's the reason to, you know, delay the release of other products across all these other places too. Like it just, to me, it just, it just becomes 
again, just like I say, naive. Like, do they do they think that if someone really is like, I have read the Hit Monkey com- comic book, I love it. Oh, it's not coming to Canada for another X number of months, but it's already available here. Mm-hmm. I'll guess I'll just wait. Like, that just seems shockingly naive. Yeah, it, it's so weird when you have um, such cultural similarity that you share the language and it's not like um, like taking it to something that's less common of a problem given that there are things like Crunchyroll that exist to have Japanese animation, if not day of, like a week later from broadcast in Japanese and it's translated in at least subtitles. Um, even for cultural translation, not just literally translating what are the words they're saying. Mm-hmm. Historically, it's like, oh, it's going to take time because we're going to have to take some some effort. Of like, is this show worth spending the money? Can we you know, translate this? How would we distribute and et cetera? Um, but at least there was that barrier of like, oh, kind of not a big deal to to worry about too much piracy or any sort of things on this, given that it will be hard for non-native Japanese speakers to even understand this. When it comes to American content not being available in Canada, it's like, bro, it, like all 30-some million people have at least a passing familiarity with English when it comes to that. There's no there, there's no natural barrier there or obstacle. So so why not just release it? Yeah. It's very, very strange. So I was going to pick an example that would probably piss off too many Canadians. So instead, I'm going to turn internally and anger <laughs> and anger one of the 50 states but but for people who are listening who are from the uh the great state of georgia bear with me till i finish the example so <laughs> i think th- there isn't necessarily something wrong with uh trying to drive the the content minimums i think there should be investment locally to try to get that going and i will point out that like i'm gonna assume that it's been long enough um, for for productions to be done in the state of Georgia, that Georgians are probably getting really good at doing, you know, movie and uh, TV production type stuff. But did all of that stuff collect there because Georgians were sort of like naturally good at that stuff? No, they tax did breaks. it because they were they were cheap, right? Yeah. They were tax breaks. Yeah. <laughs> so you knew where I was going with this. Oh, yeah. But 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 eventually you collect so much of the 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 groundswell of that that you start becoming the experts and you start mm-hmm. having that next generational stuff of like you can't do it, you know, right across the way in like Texas because why would we do that? Why do we just have people do it in Georgia? That's where all the experts are. Yep. So I think Canada should probably try to do the same thing of like, cool, not only have those minimum things, but also, uh, I don't know how this is financed through like taxes or uh, uh, grants or something just like building up the, we're going to put stuff on um, the streaming platforms that has been intentionally produced to be good quality content coming out of your country. Yeah. It's funny, now that you mentioned, I wonder, because there is so much production that happens up here. Again, all the Star Trek live action stuff is filmed up here. I wonder, for Canadian content purposes, if it falls under that umbrella of, you know, the, oh, that, that qualifies. It was made here, you know. Like, yeah. I, to be fair, you know, and Tim and I probably noticed this more so than, than you would, Jaime, just because of being Canadian. But there has been an, uh, a, a huge noticeable number of the supporting actors on the Star Trek series like Disco and Picard who are Canadian. 
uh, yeah, you know, it, they're really easy to spot. You're like, oh, that that person was on this CBC program. That person was on this, you know, Canadian pro- uh, project for years. It, it may not resonate for you in the same way. You might be like, oh, that's a familiar face. I've probably seen them before. And, you know, good actors are good actors. Good actors are going to be on lots of different things. But I constantly like, oh, I know that face. Where do I know that face from? Oh, it was from this, you know, yeah, CBC program from a few years back. Oh, where do I know that person? Oh, they were clearly on, you know, like it becomes pretty... Uh, yeah, pretty familiar. So again, I think part of the reason is that part of the rule that they have in place is cool. You're going to film here. Oh, okay. Also, you have to employ a certain number of Canadians in order to uh, to qualify for all your tax incentives and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I myself personally benefit from this. So you may or may not know that the Chucky TV series was filmed. You could probably guess in Toronto. <laughs> and since uh you know i've, I've joked on on uh, disco at uh lieutenant tax break right <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i was like oh i was like that's probably why that that character's there that actress is there um but even if they they go the we got to find a canadian actress route i happen to personally benefit as a longtime unreasonable irrational fan of lexa doig because she <laughs> is in <laughs> Chucky TV series. Yes. Yes, that's true. If you if you wanted to see the Alexa Doig, she does fill fill a quota. That's that's the kind of win-win scenario we need. <laughs> What's the this opposite crazy of a Kobayashi Maru? Tax race. Yeah. <laughs> a no-lose scenario. No matter what you do, it comes out like uh, The, the like Alexa Doig scenario, yeah. yeah. Computer call the Alexa Doig scenario. There you go, Tim. That's the title of the episode, the Alexa Doig scenario. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. Yep. Well, again, it's just it. It's just so funny. I mean, it's hard to get yourself excited. Where you see, you know, like we live in a monoculture to a certain to, to a certain extent, especially if you spend a, a, an amount of time on uh, social channels. You know, social channels are the great unifier. We aren't Canadians and Americans and and Brits and Australians all speaking the same language. We're also you know, monoculturally interested in Star Trek writ large, Marvel Universe writ large, Star Trek writ large, all these things that cross over across our experiences and and unify us. And that's kind of an awesome thing. So you get people sharing conversations and starting message boards and starting conversation places. And that's excellent. So when you see these these things where you're like, oh, I see on this, you know, person that I follow is excited about seeing this new program, you get excited about it. Oh, cool. I like that actor. I like that performer. I like that circumstance, whatever it is to be told you can't have it again. I, I think the ultimate one is the one we talked about at the beginning of the season where, where, um, discovery got canceled off of all of the non North American streaming services and was just like, Oh, by the way, you can't have it. Do if you, if you found yourself in that circumstance, I'm not suggesting you would do anything illegal, but would you be inclined to take that lying down if they were like, hey, you know how it's supposed to be a new season of one of your favorite series is supposed to start in two days? Yeah, you can't watch that for another three months or an indeterminate period of time. That leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And it's just it's just kind of confusing that they think that that is going to stop people. It is, and that's why we we joke about like, oh, these episodes fell off the back of a truck. Yeah. <laughs> so I might as well watch them. <laughs> yeah, like 
I don't know. It just, it's so strange. And the same thing, like right now, you know, there are avenues that you could watch these things. There are avenues that you could, you know, so far there hasn't been anything like, again, how I met your father seemed like an interesting idea, a premise based on a show that I enjoyed and I probably would have watched it. Now I'm pissed off. So I'm not going to watch it. Hit monkey again, you know, funny idea for a comic book i'm sure it's a funny idea for a tv program i'm not dying to see it but it's also one of those things where i'm like hey screw you like why why did you do this but yeah if it was something extreme if there was like again for for the sake of argument if they were like hey disney plus has decided they're only going to put a book of boba fett for an american audience and three months later you'll get it in other markets i don't know that i would be as patient yeah, I, I I do feel like there needs to be a um like a town hall with all of these execs that sort of deal with stuff and then you just go up to do your your presentation and all your presentation is is the Futurama shut up and take my money meme <laughs> just repeating in the background for 10 minutes. Yeah. Of like do you get it? Huh? Uh shut up and take my money. Just give it to me. <laughs> just look and offer it to me so I can actually pay you for this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I, you know, it's funny, we talked, uh, you know, Tim had mentioned in the last episode that, you know, the decision to raise the rates for Netflix along with the quality influx in some of the other services may have started to see a decline in in the um, ubiquitousness of, of Netflix, that people are actually like, eh, maybe I don't need Netflix. Uh, boy, you know... Um, you know, we, we talk about voting with your dollars. If you feel like you're not getting what you need, the problem is, is that, you know, uh, you know, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face at some points on some of these things too, where you're like, Oh, I can't believe they did this. I'm going to mm-hmm. give up my, you know, Disney plus subscription. And they're like, well, okay, <laughs> more power to you fool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hard to do that and and arguably gets to a, a different, like, uh, you know, how much power is too much power for some of these conglomerates. Yeah, um, of like you know, should they have this much content, or, or or should Marvel and Star Wars be broken apart into some other services and etc.? It, it gets really challenging. Oh, now I mean, don't the give them ideas, my friend. Don't give them ideas. You just give them an idea. They're like, what if we just did Star Wars Plus? What if we just did Marvel Plus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you end up with you know uh, a crappy pricing model if you bought them all separately. And then they're like, but if you got the Disney Plus bundle, save like $2 a month. Oh, okay. And effectively, the same situation is there. But legally, they've satisfied the, uh, the you know, Congress uh, from the American side. The Congress's uh, thirst for breaking up, you know, big media and big tech. Yeah. Yep. I think the reality is that uh, if you are a fan of... You know, the the sort of sci-fi pop culture stuff that we're into, you are likely never going to give up your subscription to Disney Plus anymore, ever again. You're you're mm-hmm. in it. You're, you're mm-hmm. in it. That That's all there is to it. There there really is no way out unless you just say to hell with it. It's, it honestly, it's the same deal they have with like, you know, cable television and sports at this point. Perhaps there will come a tipping point where somebody like Amazon or Apple will get into the game and say, hey, we're buying the rights to this. If you want this, you have to have a subscription to our service. And I honestly feel like that I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. But at the same time, I think, you know, yeah, it'll it, 
until that moment happens, you're kind of on the hook. If you're a sports fan, you kind of have to have cable television or some variation. You can watch it, you know, online and stuff, but it's spotty and challenging. And, you know, I know people who have tried to do it and have, you know, had less than ideal luck on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, who needs you, hip monkey? Hulu. All right, uh, let's move on to our watch list. And uh, Jonathan, you're up first, speaking of things to forget about. Yeah, so I checked on uh, the the new season of South Park is starting on February 2nd on Comedy Central in the States, much here in Canada. Uh, After these two sort of mini-movie things that they did for Paramount+, Plus, which are, to the best of my knowledge, still only available on Disney+, Plus or not Disney+, excuse me, Paramount+. Plus. So uh, it's kind of interesting that they're going back to the, you know, where they where they started from they're back on comedy central it's kind of disappointing as a as a fan i have not watched those two movies it's kind of i hope that there's no sort of connection but i'm disappointed that i haven't had a chance to watch those yet i suppose i could you know do do the lopez calculus and get a month of free uh, or a week of free disney or uh, paramount plus to try and you know cram those in and and you know find out what happens but it is uh it's never a bad thing to get more south park on on tv so i'll i'll tune in and see if there's any any sort of immediate need for me to to go back and and uh connect those things cool all right well as the show's been going on i found more and more stuff but the first thing i want to talk about is resident alien which just came back out again yesterday for second season premiere and I don't know if you guys remember, but but Nathan Fillion tweeted this morning that he's in this trailer that I've got here, the season trailer, or the season two trailer. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, and I don't know if you guys remember Nathan Fillion. Like, this is an Alan Tudyk show, obviously. Yep. He's, you know, everybody's favorite uh, droid K2SO. And he also played the pilot Wash, in, yeah. uh, Wash in uh, Firefly. So, of course, you know, all the Firefly people have to show up at some point, but. Nathan Fillion was in last last uh, season's episode. I don't know if you remember for the character I told you he played. Yeah, I don't recall. Do have you watched any of these Resident Alien things? I haven't. Is this a Hulu property? I think? It, it is. Yeah. Sci-fi. Yeah, I think so. Sci-fi. Yeah, it's a Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, um, it's pretty cool. Um, uh, yeah. So so the, he plays an alien who's who who makes himself look like a human. He's here to destroy the Earth, basically. Um, but he befriends a kid, and you know madness and stay and goes on but he's in a seafood restaurant and the octopus in the tank starts talking to him because they're both kindred spirits like they're both uh descendant from the same species and the and uh, the octopus in the tank is played by nathan Philly. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> and uh guess what i started watching the expanse season i thought i was up caught up but apparently i missed season five so i'm catching up on season five and uh six so expanse if you might remember dark matter and the expanse were both on around tv around the same time they both got unceremoniously canceled and uh fortunately for uh the expanse and not so much for dark matter the expanse got picked up by netflix and they they put out a season four and then uh, now they've put out a season five, and now they just released season six. So I got to catch up on season five before I watch season six. A really interesting story. Uh, it's different, different kind of sci-fi. A little, little bit more uh, refreshing. A little bit like Babylon Five in some senses, but uh, not quite as bad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, harsh. Friend of the show, Tammy Coron, pointed out today that there's a. Uh, to go along with the, uh, um, you know, what you, when you wonder what, what has Dr. Beverly Crusher been up to, 
Well, it turns out that, that Gates McFadden has been doing a podcast on your various podcast shows called Gates McFadden Investigates. Who do you think you are? And the guests that she has on the show are some, you know, strange people like Michael Dorn and Denise Crosby and Robert Picardo. So I, I get a sort of sense that Michael Westmore, I don't know who that is. But uh, and there's also a, a, promo, a promo. Last episode was a promo of for the center seat, so which I've been talking about for the last little while too. So I'm gonna check out some of these shows to see what uh, what what's going on with those. Those are on your favorite podcaster. And uh, since we were talking about the, some of the backstory of the Mandalorian, um, just after this episode was over, Disney decided to show me the behind the ma- beneath the mask um, sort of um, uh, magazine episode that they have on Disney Plus which covers the sort of uh, Boba Fett, who started out as... Um, there, were, there was going to be a whole army of Boba Fetts. Apparently, they were white. And apparently, from a collector's point of view, if you find a white Boba Fett, yep. that's an actual uh, maquette from that original series. Uh, George decided he didn't have enough budget to make an entire army of them. So uh, one of the effects guys went and, and basically distressed it and painted it silver and made it gr- with a green tint over the top and invented the character Boba Fett, who... I think had four lines in the original series of movies. Yep. Uh, very menacing. And that's what I've always liked about Boba Fett. He was a bit of a badass, right? From that point of view, you didn't know, you didn't know anything about him at all. Um, and that sort of talks about the origin of that. But he also talks about uh, the um, the young kid that played Boba Fett, because Jango Fett, Tamora Morrison plays Jango Fett in um, Attack of the Clones. And was, I don't know if he's in the second movie. I guess he must be in the second movie. But he plays, he's basically the, the clones, right? He's the, yep. the adult model that they made the clones from. But Boba Fett, if you don't know, was a clone that was made specially for him in terms of payment, but unmodified. So they just have a normal life. Um, and uh, so the young actor who plays uh, um, Boba Fett in the movies is now, you know, obviously a, a young man. Uh, he talks about the whole relationship that he had with, with Morrison and, you know, how he just sort of said, you know, uh, I'll call you son and you call me dad. And that that's the kind of bond that they ended up having as actors. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's sort of interesting sort of story there behind the whole sort of making of Boba Fett and where he came from and all that kind of stuff. And, and the character, and of course, you know, the, the, the young kid got to play and was modeled and got to play, uh, the, the young clones in, um, all of the, uh, in, hack, uh, what is it called? The uh, Clone Wars? Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Hmm. And I don't, I guess I have to look up his name now. Daniel Logan. While I throw, sorry? Daniel Logan. Daniel Logan. Thank you very much. Um, and we'll throw over to Jaime for his um, thing. Yeah. Um, this is not new. Uh, these came out somewhere between five to ten years ago, I think. But it's new to me, and the YouTube algorithm suggested it to me. There apparently were some animated shorts uh, from the DC Nation block on Cartoon Network uh, called Tales of Metropolis. And uh, the collection of them, the entire collection, is a, a breezy four minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, they're, they're fun. They're kind of lighthearted takes on um, uh, Batman with uh, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and, uh, and Bizarro. Which I think is pretty well done here. Have you guys ever seen these before? This this was one hundred percent new to me. I, I assumed it was some new thing. Yeah, I, it didn't ring a bell when I saw it. So yeah, I must have missed that one. No, I don't think I've seen them either. So yeah, first. yeah, they're 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 uh, they're nice, and I think they've got um, yeah. Somebody in the comments says that it was Kevin Conroy that does Batman or uh, 
for that one. Yeah, cool. So, kind of neat. Neat. Oh. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, I guess uh, people are in contact with you, Jonathan, wherever they find you. Always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. And hi, if people are in contact with you. I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. My name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Auf Yep. Auf sounds really ugly, but what it means is until I see you again. It's such a lovely sentiment. Mm-hmm. It's like au revoir. Au revoir is such a nice one. Until I see you again. Mm-hmm. Mañana. What they say in Espanol. I think. Hasta mañana? Till tomorrow? No, mañana. Mañana is tomorrow. Yeah. But isn't that hasta mañana? Mm, maybe. I don't know. We have, uh, to me, we don't already spend Spanish speaking. Yeah, I know. It's a shame. I am not the right person with it. Uh, hasta mañana, hasta luego. Um, I guess people would probably say both. E- either one is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's kind of depends on, on what you meant. Uh, mañana would be more specifically tomorrow, uh, whereas luego is next time or soon. It's more indefinite. Hmm. I think we used to say it at work because we were literally going to see the person tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. So that every makes sense day, for every day except Friday, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I started a 3D, a 3D print earlier today and then I realized it was going to take six hours and it was going to cut into our podcast time. So I had to stop the print. <laughs> so guess what I'm going to do after this call's over. Last week's yeah. episode, we somehow didn't mention your 3D printer as an attack vector for assassins. Um which I feel like is a miss <laughs> based on what happened in Prodigy last week. They can send you a, uh, a giant robot to oh, come and attack yeah. you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But luckily it'll just be made of like filament and you could just like blow hard and it'll fall over. So mm-hmm. that's why in this movie, it's smart enough to like, you know, break an arm, you know, on the table or something. Cause like, Oh, it's jagged and sharp. No, get away, get away. <laughs> <laughs> What's that line from The Simpsons? Oh no, he's got a board with a nail in it. <laughs> yeah, for the Halloween's uh, yeah. treehouse ones. Yeah, treehouse horror. Yeah. Soon they'll make bigger boards with bigger nails. <laughs> this is cool. Some German companies come up with a, an iPad dock that looks like an old retro 90s computer. 
like a '90s Mac. Oh, that's uh, that's pretty neat to do that. Like a like an iMac, Bondi Blue kind of Mac. No, even older oh. than that, like the old LC style. Oh, yeah, interesting. Rainbow style. <laughs> and I just stumbled across it. I don't know if, don't even know if it's like a recent article. and accidentally bought one. German, so it's hard to read. Huh? <laughs> I just stumbled across it and accidentally bought one. Yeah, it says uh, Arkelvom. 30.05.16, so this is from 2016, I guess, right? But it's got an iPad Pro on it, so it's pretty recent. Huh. Depends which one. The Pros are, I think, like, I have a Pro, and it's getting long. Yeah, they started in 2015, right? The Pros? Here, I'll, I'll paste it in the link in the, yeah. you know, or Twitter, you know, Zoom chat, so you can see it. Which tool should I use? Let's do this one. Chat, paste, return. There you go. Oh, the Zoom chat. Like a retro. Okay. Hmm. I have like a retro Pinterest page that shows me all these sort of cool things people do. Like it shows me actual old computers, but it also shows me uh, what people are doing with the current stuff. Like a Kleenex holder made out of an old, um, uh, you know, the G4 Cube. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That always looked like a Kleenex, Kleenex holder anyways, suspension. right? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, PSA, if you haven't updated your iOS and macOS devices, you really should because... The, the patches yeah. are for some really scary stuff, like visit the wrong web link and get owned sort of stuff. Yeah. So. Ooh. Yeah. 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 We got an alert from our uh, InfoSec team today saying, go now. <laughs> go now. You Do not pass go. People, you. Please yeah. install this on your on your new, uh, on your device's ASAP. Because our, um, yeah, we have our access to our systems through our phones too. So they're like... Please do not mm. Trojan horse us anything. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, I still run some old Macs here, so that's kind of a challenge. That would explain why. Um, so our IT at work, I think they they had some troubles with um, with Big Sur. So it sort of took a while. So I want to say it was like three months ago we got the go ahead to actually use um, Big Sur. Uh, and here we Big are, Sur? just a, a oh. short three months later it's like oh by the way you're you're approved you're all approved to get monterey i'm like really that's kind of fast oh because they probably knew about this yeah i mean i baseless speculation but it seems like you know kind of soon-ish to have why is there a current is there a current exploit that that needs monterey uh i guess that's true i guess you don't necessarily need it there i think there are new uh security patches for Take it might go as stuff, far back yeah. as Catalina. No, I, I just right? updated both of, both of my Macs that I work on to Monterey, but Carol's still on Big Sur. Yeah, I, I, you might want to check. I think there might be patches as far back as Catalina, but I, I don't know. Mm. For me, for my personal laptop, I updated to Monterey and did my work one to Monterey and then got my, dang, everything, my iPad, my iPhone, my Apple Watch, and my HomePod all needed updating. Yeah. Mm. But I guess at least working from home, it's kind of easy to, to update that stuff while you're otherwise in meetings or, or doing documentation or something. Yeah. I mean, it always say stability and performance, but like, just is there any, was there something specific? Yeah, I'm not a security expert, but I did see the the series of things that you could get hit from, I think, just if you used Safari, um, which uh, is kind of the, 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 oh, you have no choice kind of option on... Um, on iOS, given that yeah. Safari's engine is underneath the covers, even for yeah. third-party browsers. I don't know that it impacted yeah. Chrome on desktop. Um, so for me, as a Chrome user, I hypothetically didn't need to worry, but what if I accidentally fire up Safari? Uh, or what if I need to fire up Safari? Like I said, oh, it's just not worth the whole uh, for my personal stuff. And then for my work stuff, they 
for some of these critical things move pretty fast of like, you will lose access to critical resources if you do not update as far as part of our policy. Like Teams on my phone, yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't given me the little nasty grab saying like, hey, by the way, you need to update hmm. to this version. Uh, maybe because I already have. So it, it yeah. you know, elegantly avoids the nasty gram, but it didn't used to do that before. Hmm. Somebody's painted a SE30 with like a, like a lavender mac, flower power. Anyway, time to say goodbye. Alrighty. All right. Goodbye. Until next time. All right. Abiento. It would be me then, I guess. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.